Hello everybody, it's Gary Stuckey with Real Music. On today's show, it's a good one. I've got music producer, music video producer, record label executive Jeff Panzer is here. And he has produced over 3,000 music videos in his career. He's worked with the Rolling Stones, John Mellencamp, Paul McCartney, Alabama, John Cicada, Little Wayne, Godsmack, Wilson Phillips, Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, Nelly. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you know what? He's very humble. And he doesn't want to put the spotlight on himself. You know, he, he was hard to talk to because, you know, most people you talk to, they want to talk about what they've done and accomplished. And even though he's got all these plaques on his wall, he doesn't really want to focus on that. But he wanted to focus on the people that he worked with. And that's what he does so well. And even though he retired a few years ago, he's still working with people like William Lee Golden of the Oak Ridge Boys and his sons, the Goldens. And also he's been working with Danny Stefanetti, the up-and-coming Australian country singer and guitarist. I talked to her a few weeks ago. Had a great time with her. Uh, but yeah, very talented guy. Uh, very humble yeah, do some research. Find out about <laughs> Jeff, and you'll see. You'll be amazed. But here he is. Here's Jeff Panzer. There's not, you know, there needs to be more about you online. I mean, there's not, I've noticed there should be more publications mentioning your story. Is that the case? You know what? When I was doing it, quite frankly, and even now, I'm not too comfortable with this only because I'm the guy behind the scenes and I've always been that. And I've, yeah. it, 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 I always tell my artists, it's not about me. It's about you. And I purposely, unless you go back and dig up all the behind the making ofs on MTV, the videos and all, there was sure. tons of stuff then on me. And I just, Whenever people wanted to do anything with me, I'd always send them to the artist's way because it ain't pu- I, I'm just a worker. I'll, you know, it's about presenting William Lee, Chris Rusty, and the Goldens, or Danny Stefanetti for right now. Sure. And it's about them. And it's not about me. I just help them try to. I guess, you know, focus in on who and what they are and get to the core of it all because that's what's important. Well, that's a humble thing for somebody that's accomplished a lot. I was looking, you've done like, what, 3,000 music videos, over 3,000? That's a yeah. lot of music videos. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Hey, you know, a sad thing, though, is they hardly play music videos anymore. I mean, what happened to that? You know? Honestly, I think it was a cross between the economics of it all and also technically when you have a Steven Spielberg shooting a commercial with an iPhone, then that really tells you um how technically the business of making videos have grown that all of us can shoot a music video in fact danny shot her last video for this upcoming single um of thinking of you with her own camera she shot it by herself she was the crew member doing sound and everything i watched it on facetime But just watching her do it all, it just pretty much showed me how technically it grew. And then you start thinking, do you need crews of 30, 40 people to shoot one video? And that became an issue with the labels when they realized that they don't have to spend as much because, as you said, there is no more MTV, VH1, BET playing videos morning noon and night it's you have to find those stations or people generally watch it through their computer and with their computer it's more about the real deal and i think that's the magic of tiktok of people just you know 
picking up their phone and shooting just something wild, funny, or whatever. And that's what people want right now. They don't want to see high-level production, if you will. And to get that high-level production, it costs a certain amount of money. And labels would rather put it elsewhere, is my belief. Yeah. But the artist's expectations never change. So there could be maybe 75% less of the budget and they would want that same half a million dollar look of a video. Sure. And that's understandable, especially, you know, when you grew up watching videos and you see all these just memorable videos that stick in your mind, you're thinking, I want one like that. So when you get the money and you're like, I want to pay top dollar, they're not showing videos anymore. But, but at least like on the internet, you have the opportunity to view it more as opposed to one channel, it's it's all over the internet, so you can watch it anywhere. Like you said, TikTok, YouTube, or Facebook, you got everywhere to do it. But I guess you could you save a lot of money uh, either way. I guess you could still work with the people on that. They just it just doesn't cost. They could go over like like you said, like Danny, go over what they've done and kind of maybe critique. Do you do that as far as you kind of tell? Maybe you should do this or do that. Do you ever you give advice? Yeah, we, we talk about it the night before. And the same with the Goldens. We would shoot maybe sometimes four or five videos a day and probably a half a day. Each one maybe shooting time an hour and 15 minutes, which is me and a director of photography. And I'm watching it through FaceTime with the camera sitting the video camera or the iPhone sitting on top of his video camera. So I'm seeing exactly what he's shooting. So there's no reason to get on a plane. And it was just getting them all together. And once they were all together, we'd shoot four or five videos a day. Wow. Yeah. So that's, so that's like, a, I guess, a new way of, of shooting videos and things like that. I, it sure is uh, saving money. Like you said, I, I guess, you know, a lot of people should do that if they don't want to go through a lot of trouble to have to, like you said, get fly out and do all that stuff, you know. I tell every independent artist that I speak to to use their telephone. It's not just talk with. And right. the quality of that camera, of the newer iPhones, are pristine and crisp, and you can do anything you want on it. And I think Danny's situation when she shot Thinking of You, it may have taken her two and a half hours herself. And everything was tight, a tight shot, a medium shot, a wide shot, and then slow motion stuff of her. She changed her outfit and do it again. And we just chopped it up. She edited it. So she directed it, produced it, shot it, edited it herself. So right. I tell that to all independent artists that you have tools right in front of you. Sure. Yeah. I, I always thought about doing that for some of the music I do, but I'm thinking I, I don't have anybody to, to shoot the video. All, <laughs> you need, all you need is a stand to just hold stand. the camera and get a nice ring light to make you look great. Right. And I can even look decent with a ring light. <laughs> so, that's, right. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, like like me, I don't look like this. I look like I have a mask on. I'm kidding. Hey, uh, tell me this, though. I mean, I know you, you've been through all these years doing videos and, and producing. You you produce music, too, you know, right? So, uh I produced two tracks I co-produced on the Goldman's record, um, Peaceful Easy Feeling with Michael Sykes, who is absolutely first rate, oh, yeah. and, ben, and Ben Isaacs of the Isaac family. I mean, I couldn't have worked with a better team of pros. And um, I did the two Eagle songs 
for them on that uh, record. It was a blast working at that capacity with them. And I co-produced all Danny's music with her as well. Awesome. Um, Well, when did you start getting into this, doing the videos and producing and all this stuff? I know it's been many years ago. How did you get into all this, the entertainment industry? Well, I started off as an intern for ABC News for the 1976 conventions that were held in Madison Square Garden and in Kemper Arena in Kansas City. If I remember correctly, it was Jimmy Carter versus Ronald Reagan at the time for you history buffs out there. And basically, you know, I was an intern. Whatever needed to be done, I got it done. But there was just something about the cameras, the lights, and everything that I always loved. And um, I guess it was my dad who, after going to my first um, semester in college, calls me over to the dining room table and he says to me, hey, what are you majoring in in that school of yours? I said, political science, why? He said, yeah, I thought so. Political science, are you gonna be a school teacher? I said, no. He said, well, and this is coming from New York. He said, the only thing I see happening in your career is you can recite Marxism on a street corner in Greenwich Village. You got to find a job that you love, a job that isn't doesn't feel like a job, something that you love, something that comes naturally to me. And at that point, I had to reevaluate like what I was majoring in college and I switched it over to communications at American University in Washington, D.C., and I started majoring in film and television, and which led me right to, while I was still at school, I was an intern for ABC. So I pretty much at that time had my sights aligned. At that point, it was TV news, but I wasn't really a journalist, you know, I I never had that ambition or anything else, but you needed a start. That was my start. That's a good start. And then a couple (laughs) of years later, Geraldo Rivera gave me the break of my life, asking me if I wanted to produce a music story. Because at that time, 2020 was basically called a second rate 60 minutes. And to differentiate ourselves from 60 minutes, they figured somebody, let's do music segments. And our first music segment that we did on that show were the Doobie Brothers. And they just finished sweeping the Grammy Awards with their Minute by Minute album. And uh, I guess they say the rest is history. That's a great way to start. <laughs> wow. Well, the ratings greatly improved that night. And the only thing they could write it off to was we did a music segment. So one music segment led to another music segment through another. And I ended up being their music producer for a couple of years. And in fact, I did a story on Alabama right before they became the darlings of uh, the music, country music world. And that's where, when and where I met probably my best friend in the world, William Lee Golden. And uh, it was in Fort Payne, Alabama for I think their second June jam. And I never heard of June Jam before or whatever, but it was a spectacular event. And Teddy Gentry introduced me to William. And how my life changed since. That's a great, great story. I know you have great memories of that. Uh, Well, you at that time, 
it's talking about uh, music videos and things like that. Uh, that had just started. I, I know MTV had just started uh, at that time. So how did you get involved in doing some of these uh, video music videos? Well, I went from ABC to I came out here to run the entertainment division for CNN. And I was just at a point in my life because CNN is 24 hour news that unfortunately, when an elder star would pass away in the middle of the night, I would get a phone call. And let's just say Lucille Ball passed away. Come on in and do what's called in the news business, an obit, an obituary story on this person's life. Right. And after a while of getting these phone calls, you know, I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not even getting paid like a doctor. And plus, part of doing those obits was going to best friends of the star that would pass away, Dean Martin or someone like that. So you basically were breaking the news to their best friend, that their best friend just passed away. Can I send a crew over there and get talk to you about your best friend? Right. So I got to a point where I started when uh, the reporters I had had no stories to do that day. I started just looking at stars that were over 60 and stockpiled about 100 obits before I left there. And um, so this way they were always ready. I never got a phone call. And the only thing I had to remember was the person's age because right. every year the person would be a certain age older. Right. So I mastered that, but the real change came when I got, I was able to cover a shoot that had, it was a Keith Richards uh, music video. And there was a dude there that worked for, I think, Virgin Records named Jeff Aroff. And this guy controlled everything on the set. And I just said, asked one of the crew members, who is that guy? He said, you don't know who that guy is? That guy is like the guy that's behind Paul Abdul's videos, all these great videos at the time this guy was responsible for. And I watched him and I was just so taken back by what he did. I went home and couldn't stop thinking about it, that that's exactly what I want to do with my life. Right. Cut to six months later, a friend of mine who just recently passed by the name of Charles Koppelman, who started a little boutique label called SBK, called mm -hmm. me up. And said, hey, how would you like to work in the music business? And I said, I'd love it. You know? And um, that was the beginning of making music videos. Oh, awesome. I, um, I was looking over a list of different artists, you know, and I know you've worked with ju just about everybody that you can think of. Uh, like I was looking at uh, like John Mellencamp. How did you work with John Mellencamp? When I was with CNN, I always loved John's music and everything else. But I got to go down to Seymour, Indiana and spend a couple of days down there with the guy. And at the time, I think it was managed by Tommy Mottola at the time. And Tommy and I are good friends. And he hooked John and I up and um, just an amazing musician, an amazing human being. And I think the most important thing about the guy is he's very honest and sometimes too honest, And but he's real. So what you see is what you get with him. And one of the top few artists that when I'm not listening to what I'm working on, I go to that, Bob Seger, people like that. I call my comfort music that puts me in the place 
that um, brings me back, is, that makes the soundtrack, if you will, of my life. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, uh, when you're directing a video, mm -hmm. what's the first thing you do? I mean, they say, I want you to do my video. You get ready to do it. How do you prepare and what, what's the first thing you do? There isn't a video, or I don't think there's a video that can get started without an idea. You have to have that idea of what you want to accomplish in this video, in the business, they call it a treatment. You have directors write from beginning to end what the video should look like. Um, and basically, that's how a director gets or does not get their job. And once a treatment is written and everybody falls in love with it, well, the next step is how much is that going to cost? And usually you fall in love with a treatment that's twice as much as the budget that you have. So then it takes a person to basically dissect each line of the budget, like I'm an IRS agent or something on someone's taxes that the production company gave me to tell me how they think this should actually run. And either we trim the budget as I always had to do when working as the head of a label for music videos or as a director, trim the idea to make it fall into what the label or whoever was financing the idea to make it work within that framework. So it's all about the idea when it starts. It's very similar to music because I always tell the artists I work with, you know, they say, is this going to be a great video? especially the new artists that I worked with throughout the years. And I said, when it comes to an artist's first video, it's going to be a good video. I, I tell them that right off the bat. But I say, it really depends on the song. And I say that to the, both William Lee Golden, Chris Rusty, and then now to Danny. It will stand and succeed on the merit of the music, not necessarily on the pictures. And if you have a great song, you could basically take my bar mitzvah movies, put it down, and it will be an award-winning video. And you may laugh saying that, but I took that same idea for a Drake video, who happens to be half Jewish. And as soon as I met him, I said to him, you know, it would be really funny if we do a video of your bar mitzvah. He said, can we do that? I said, we can do whatever we want. So we ended up doing a video. It, it was abbreviated H-Y-F-Y. -Y. It stands for Hell Yeah F Right. So anyhow, we went to a synagogue down in Miami and we created Wayne, uh, Wayne's, uh, Drake's video, uh, Bar Mitzvah. And we actually threw old movies of his Bar Mitzvah wow. in the actual video. And what made it really comical was we had people that were actual members of the synagogues intertwined with all my rappers I had in the synagogue. And it just made for real, it was an award-winning video. So there's nothing. And that's why I love videos. There were no boundaries. You just come up with some crazy idea. Right. And there it is three weeks later on the screen and you go, oh my, this is amazing. Instantaneous gratification. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Does that happen? a lot to you or i mean i know things don't always come together like that but have there been some other videos that you've done um I've, where i've had that gratification yes 
Um, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of little Wayne videos, especially Lollipop, the iconic shot of him going down the strip in Las Vegas um, on the back of a truck holding a guitar with a leather jacket looking like a rock star, which is what he wanted to look like. There was uh, Nicki Minaj, uh, a couple of videos that were definitely game changers at the time. And whenever you take a new artist and could break them through the power of video, and I've seen that happen with artists like Pat Benatar, Billy Idol, way back when in the 80s to even the first real official rap video I worked on, which was Arrested Developments, Tennessee. Oh, wow. And, you know, at that point, rap was sort of like rock and roll in the 60s. Everybody was asking, well, it may not last long. So, you know, they wouldn't give us big budgets to do a rap video. And essentially, I had $15,000 to go down to Atlanta and shoot this hip hop group. And we did it. And it just shows you that whole premise that it's the power of the song that drove that video. I just put together a very organic, real looking video, which was representative of their music. And um, it clicked. It worked. And I looked like a big hero because at that time they were still still spending two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on rock videos, right? Which soonly changed. Soonly after changed into they were spending millions of dollars on rap videos, right? But yeah, I've had that feeling throughout my career, and it's, those are the feelings I live for. It's such, it, it's so wonderful because they say you can't please all of the people all the time, but I think I was lucky and blessed enough to have that in my career, and I sometimes have to pinch myself to say that this was real, and I just lived every dream I had out. And I just wish that my dad was here to have seen it all because he was the one that sat me down and said, what are you going to do with your life? And here I am. And I retired for about five or six years after I left music videos. I didn't want to work again. I didn't need to work again. And... I got a phone call just as the pandemic started and it went, I see who's calling. I know who it is. Jeffrey. Ah, this is William Lee Golden calling. And I said, of course, William, I saw your name, you know, pop up. What's up? He says, well, I probably did something I shouldn't have done. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, you know, I'm going into the studio tomorrow and start recording my gospel record. And this is the first of the three record CD set that they did during the pandemic. William, Chris, Rusty. And the first rate uh, session musicians in Nashville. And um, I said, William, you're doing it tomorrow? Well, it's eight o'clock here tonight. And this was just when the pandemic hit. So I wasn't getting on a plane. I wasn't going to the airport. They said the lockdown, don't answer your door if anybody comes. He wants me to get on an airplane. I said, William, I'm, I love you dearly, but I'm not going to risk it because they don't know anything about this. Right. So he says, well, mm. so I said, I'll tell you what, give me the name of one of your cameramen that you hired. And let me talk with them and figure something out for you for tomorrow morning. 
And he said, I greatly would appreciate it, Jeffrey. I said, you have a because I would do anything for him. He's, he's such a dear, wonderful human being. And um, I can never say no to him because he's the world to me. He's my best friend. He's my confidant. It's like Batman and Robin or something like that, except he's a hillbilly and I'm a New Yorker and we meet somewhere in the middle and strike it off and have a great relationship. But we ended up, you know, shooting the entire sessions that way with guys with cameras with their iPhones on top. And we ended up walking away with 24 videos and some of them wow. still haven't been released yet. And it's been like two and a half years since we started releasing them. Right. So he had this vision that he wanted William Lee Golden and the Goldens to lead with the music and the visuals to show in people's heads that they were for real, honest to goodness, great singers. And the four of them are great singers, but they were sort of like the Eagles, unless you saw them do it or Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Unless you see them doing it, you can't believe that they're just singing like that. And even the Oak Ridge Boys, right. the same exact thing. When you see those four guys up there, it's believing it. So William had this image that you had to see these four guys. And that, along with the music, would sell the band. And he has these visions that are frightening sometimes because they... Pretty, his batting average with his visions are great because he thinks about it real deep and hard before he'll even bring it out and talk about it. And he just wanted to do something with his family, especially when the pandemic hit, that was fun, creative, that showed that four-part harmony because that's the music that he is doing right now and has done for over 50 years with the Oak Ridge Boys. That's what he's known for, but this puts him more into the spotlight. And I think that's good for William because William is known as a backup baritone singer. But if you see the Oak Ridge Boys shows of late, this 84 year old man, soon to be 85, sorry, William, I shouldn't have said that, but he's running around like he's Mick Jagger and he's in cowboy boots and the hair is flying and the beard is flying and he's kicking his legs up and it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch. Exactly. He's, he's definitely a legend. And of course, from right up the road, a few miles away from me is where he grew up. But uh, yeah, it's I'll a I'll tell you a funny story right down the road from you. Okay. After the Oak Ridge Boys were on 2020, I came down to Nashville to hang out with William. And at that point, William's parents must have been 1981 or something like that, maybe 1982. They didn't own a television set. Well, William wanted his dad and his mom, but mostly his dad, Luke, and his parents were wonderful people, to see this network primetime television show that the Oak Ridge Boys was on. So we went to a mall in Hendersonville. There weren't flat screens yet. There were these huge, like, refrigerator-sized televisions he bought his mom and dad. We went down to Bruton. And before we brought the um, television in, we had a television and a recorder on the bus. He showed his father the 2020 piece, and he was real proud of it, William was, and just wanted, I guess, a nod from his dad. So his dad was there, and he was a farmer, you know, a 
not a big guy like William was and not, he was very much like William, a man of very few words, but what he said he meant. And he watched this 14 minute profile and William's beaming, throwing <laughs> his hair back, pulling his beard and everything else. And his dad looks at him and William's ready, you know, and his dad, Luke, says, son, the next time you're on network TV, please wear a T-shirt because he was in his mountain man gear in front of his teepee. We did the interview and he didn't have a shirt on. And his father found that disrespectful. Right. And um, so I'm very familiar with Bruton. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. And it explains, I think, why William is the way he is. And his sister Lynette and brother Ronnie are the way that they are. And even Rusty and Chris, who were born there, you know, it's just a place that you're able to find yourself in. And it's quiet, it's laid back. And it brings you back to the land. And that's the land that his father used to plow. It's, it's, a, it's my home. It, it's, I was born here and it's, but there are, it's a different world that people, people that don't think that there's a place that exists like this. It's real. The people are legit and they're nice and very talented people. There's a lot of talented people come from this area. You know, it's just uh, myself included. No, no. Well, you're no. a musician. You're actually a musician. I am. I am. I, uh, you know, you, you, you always, uh, when I'm doing these uh, podcasts, you know, you, know, you hear you've you got all these talented you know, Grammy Award winners and directors and people like that. You know, you don't ever want to go, hey, I got these songs. But uh, I had uh, B.J. Tom. I was interviewing B.J. Thomas one time, and he, uh, I said, he had mentioned me. We were talking about songs. He goes, "You're a great songwriter," and it and in the video you can hear me just uh, about to crack up, you know, just from crying because he goes, "Yeah, you're a great songwriter." He said, "I've been watching. I've been looking at your because I post them, you know, online." He'd say, "You got some great songs. We're gonna have to go uh, to Muscle Shoals and record some. I'm gonna get two of your songs and I'm gonna record them." Well, he died before he had a chance, uh, so it was like that was like going to be something big. And it was like, oh. but I mean, just the fact that he said that was like, that was like my, you know, Grammy award winning moment, because regardless of what happens, him saying that, cause he's worked with some of the best songwriters ever. Uh, it's just a blessing, but yeah, I, I do. I talked to a lot of them and I, I rarely say anything. I might just jokingly say something, but You're I do. You're a bass player. Uh, well, I play, I play guitar, but I play bass too. I, Cause you know, nobody ever had a bass player. They could never find one. And I was always the guy that said, okay, I'll do it. But I play guitar mostly, but yeah, I play guitar, bass, drums, keyboard, violin, mandolin, harmonica. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's it. I tried some uh, saxophone. I couldn't do it. Well, you're blessed then because like everybody else that saw the Beatles back in 1964 in February, everybody wanted to go out and get a guitar and grow their hair long and everything else. So I had to be in sixth grade. I was in a band and basically we were horrible. I couldn't sing. I couldn't play. Nobody in the band really could play. Anyway, my father comes downstairs and pays us all $5 each, which was now probably maybe $50 if I had to figure in inflation and everything else. And he basically paid us to stop playing because we were horrible. So at that point, I knew I wasn't going to make it being a musician in the music business or anything else. So I better find something. And thank God music videos came around the same time 
because mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't sing. I knew I couldn't play a guitar or anything. And um, I guess the stars were in alignment, you know, to end up in the way that it did end up. So, what's what's a video from back in the day that really stands out in your mind that you probably had the most fun working, and it was just exciting for you? Maybe one of your first ones that you did that really stands out that you still can't believe that you're a part of that. I have to look at all what's on my walls now because you do so many. Sometimes it's a blur, but I probably have a top 10 Nelly's country grammar. Again, his first video and you do that I worked on. And at that point, nobody knew who Nelly was the rapper and all he would tell me on the phone is, is he's huge down where he lives in St. Louis. Well, I didn't realize, you know, I hear that from every artist I think I worked with throughout my career, how big they are in their hometown. I got to St. Louis the day of the shoot, and there was about 10,000 people lined up on the street where we were shooting. And I called the director, Mark Classell, up and I just said, hey, we're going to have to do something. So instead of shooting the storefronts that we we're going to shoot in St. Louis, we turned the camera around and just dollied clear across these thousands of people that were standing there that basically could have caused a riot at any moment, um, but didn't. But that was the video that I saw in my head, had to start off underneath the arch of St. Louis, the arch of the West. And nobody would give us a permit at that point. So I said to the crew, we're gonna wake up at five o'clock. And as soon as that sky breaks and it's light, and at that point we were still using film so you could push the stock of the film to open up the exposure more. And um, we got that iconic shot of him reaching up to the lens, knocking on it, tap, 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 because the song starts and knock on the door. And that's how Country Grammar started. So I think that has to be a real monumental type of thing, because watching this guy with a lot of dreams and a wonderful human being in St. Louis become an international superstar and you had to hand directly in it. Um, that's pretty neat. Wow. That's cool. You, you had a hand in a lot of people's starts and their like their first videos and you really got them on the map. I know they appreciate you probably tell you all the time, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be here today, you know, because I know you've done so much. Is there anybody lately that's kind of said that? Kind of said, you know, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, Danny Stefanetti yesterday said that to me. There you go. And for those who, I think you had you spoke with Danny, right? She is a marvelous, talented singer, songwriter, musician that could play guitar from like she's Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> yes. Stevie Ray Vaughan, to all the greats. In fact, how I met Danny was I ended up having to take over social media for the Goldens because the social media person we hired was only posting about six posts a month. And in social media at 66 years old, I had to learn what social media <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I'll try it because we have nobody else doing it. And I can certainly post more than six times a month. So I ended up being the social media guy for two months until it started becoming an addiction. And I had to get away from it because it was like, you know, too consuming, time consuming. So I had to learn Twitter, which was real easy. But then I had to go on to Instagram. 
So I'm learning about Instagram and I hashtag uh, music, guitarist, and something else. I don't know what it was. And I'm watching all these talented, great musicians that nobody would ever have heard their names or anything else. There's so many out there. And all of a sudden I'm going through videos and there's this girl who's just even better than Stevie Ray Vaughan, even better than Jimi Hendrix, a better description meaning. I would say she was more like Jerry Garcia. She was just playing the blues and letting her fingers do the walking up and down the frets there. Yeah. And I was amazed at how it was so soulful and real and everything else. I was blown away because there's something really cool about a girl that plays guitar like that. Sure. And I listened to another clip and I saw her with a band and I wrote her a DM or whatever on Instagram saying, hey, you're really good. You remind me almost of a Bonnie Raitt or something like that. You have so much talent. And that was it. I didn't hear from her for two months. She put me in some sort of like other folder or something. She thought I was the guy, Jeff, that worked at her record shop up in the mountains outside of Los Angeles. So she finally goes back and rereads this message that I wrote to her two months later. And coincidentally, her closest friend in Los Angeles happened to have been a producer, a production manager for me on my videos for over 20 years. Wow. So Danny calls up this girl and wants to know, am I legit and everything else? And she says, oh my God, you must have this talk with this guy. He's the godfather of music videos. So the next thing you know, I didn't want to, you know, be a manager or anything else. That wasn't my goal. It was more, I was doing it for the Goldmans, really to help out William, as I still am. And Danny was just this real talented musician that basically had a lot of going off the paths this way and that way by misled and you know had trust in people that basically didn't follow through and it sort of uh, pissed me off that people would take advantage of other people in that type of way and then when she tells me that she's written over 300 songs and she's told me what she's done she's played at the sydney opera house and everything and it was unfortunate for her but she arrived in this country just when COVID hit. Yeah. So she couldn't do anything for two and a half years. So she basically just sat around and worked on her music, honed it in. And at the same time, she went through her Instagram page and then checked me out. And we had a meeting a week later and, um, I guess the rest is history. That's great. Isn't it great to discover people like that? And like you said, especially when people kind of overlook them or they, these days people do people wrong so many times you can't trust anybody hardly. And I know it's great. There's so many. There's Danny is a princess. You know, William says she's probably the best thing that could happen to country music. I just call it great music because she could do everything from gospel to country to pop to rock to blues to R&B. She just covers it all. And it's, it's just amazing when you can do that. But it's great for Danny, but on the other hand, there's thousands of other tremendous artists. And I, I don't even want to start naming them now, but they are just so blessed in the talent that they have 
that you just wish you could help everybody out. That's the nature of the person that I am. So basically I sit on Twitter and I just give artists advice on what I would do if I was them at this particular point in their career. Awesome. Yeah, I see that. You do you get involved. You know, that's and that's uh, a lot of free advice. I mean, there's people there's people that couldn't pay for that advice and you're over there on Twitter giving it away for free. I mean, come on, that's awesome. Uh hey, I have a question though from back in the day. I now weren't you a part of the uh Proclaimers uh video? You directed that video. Now see, check this out. One of my favorite movies of all time is Benny and June, of course. Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp and uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, my favorite actress. Uh, so tell me that video. Now I love the video that the proclaimers, the two brothers, you know, playing. How did you? Because uh, I was I was watching that last night. I love that video. Great song. You know, it just it, it was popular. I song. will walk five hundred <laughs> miles. Right. I love it. It was so quirky. Catchy. It's yeah, quirky and catchy. So quirky by these two brothers that looked identical and everything else. And uh, yeah, it was just being in the right place at the right time and uh, doing that video and um, cutting in the footage from the movie and everything else. It was a lot of fun to actually do. Yeah, how did you decide, like in that video, you know? So you're the director. Do you, what's your vision when you're seeing, you know, I know they have a certain idea too, but what, what's your vision and how do you, how do you edit these parts in those movie clips? I know there's like in the background, there's like film going on mm -hmm. of like people walking down the road or something. And then, uh, you know, there's different scenes. One brother is pointing this way yeah. and the other is this way. And it kind of has a certain effect. It kind of just draws you in. How did you, how do you work with that? How do you get that in it, mind? It, it, you know, they both were so similar looking and sounded similar and everything else that it almost could be a double of each other. And we played off that idea more than anything else. And the film footage was just great to actually go through and pick those magical moments of what that song was about and just blend it all together and walk away with a video that was fun, that was interesting, that maybe if I looked at it now, I probably know all the things that I would go, oh no, why did I allow that to happen, this and that. But it, it, it was a great song at the right time. And that's the way it works a lot of times. It, it just lie, was I, always tell, I always tell the artist they could have the best song in the world, but if the timing isn't right, um, then a lot has to do with timing being right. And a perfect example of that is the Beatles. You know, if you think back to November 22nd, 1963, well, the United States just lost a president. You know, he was shot, assassinated in Dallas, Texas. I remember as a young kid watching all of this on TV and everything on TV just stomped and it became all about the assassination of JFK. Well, America was in the really singing the blues at that particular point. And there was these fresh young lads, as they were called, from Liverpool in February that just happened to have been booked on the Ed Sullivan show and came over here and picked up a whole country. I never saw any. That was the first time I saw the power of music, how it could change something bad into something wonderful. And overnight, that night, I think America got a dose of something they needed, and they were the right band with the right songs at the right time. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I don't think I don't think there could have been a better band to do it either. I mean, that was a perfect moment for them to shine. Like you said, 
a lot of sad people. Music tends to do that. Ain't it cool to be a part of music? Music always makes you feel better. People feel better. What you do, if you're doing a video, if you're playing a song, it always makes you feel better. Always. And it always makes somebody else feel better. There's, I don't think there's a better place to be than doing music. I mean, or, you know, just, just awesome stuff. But you were talking about uh, Paul McCartney. You worked with Paul McCartney before? Now, what yeah. was that? How did you I, work with Paul? I did a 2020 segment with him. Okay. We did a whole, it was his first wife, Linda, who was still married to him. And um, I think it was at, wrapped around the time where he was being honored by the world book, Guinness World Book of Records for having the most sales of any artist. And it was right after the shooting of John Lennon. I remember that. And in fact, it was the girl who is now my wife who set that whole thing up because um, she knew them. And uh, we went. And we interviewed Paul and we interviewed Linda and just had a spectacular time. And um, it was with Geraldo. And I just oh. have real great memories, great, great memories of it. You know, I'd be sitting there with a legend. And, you know, I look over here now, we talk about Paul. I don't know if you can see that. Wow. But that's another one. And we interviewed Ringo, and I met John through Geraldo because John Lennon did a benefit for Geraldo Rivera at Madison Square Garden. I think it was the last performance, live performance he ever did um, to help Geraldo get and build these group homes for people with disabilities because there was this big uh, investigative report of how abused the people in facilities that had phys uh, mental um, disabilities were being treated. They were basically being put in big institutions, locked away and no supervision, no nothing. And Geraldo, who still is a very passionate human being, wanted to do something to help. And he got John Lennon to come down to the garden and play a concert for him. I think it was called One to One. And that was the name of the concert. And um, yeah. So you talk oh. about living your dreams. Yeah. You, you've you lived a lot of dreams. You're, you're talking about those, uh, I guess you've got all kinds of plaques and, and albums and on the wall and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I just, do you ever look at those and just, like you said before, you know, you just kind of like, it's unbelievable, but you know, it's got to just make you smile when you know, even me, little, little me, uh, who've have, I've had a chance to interview a lot of people and you, you know, people like you that have done so many great things. It's, it's a humbling thing when you know that all these people, man, you're a part of that. It's just, it makes you smile and you got that. That's forever. There's nobody can ever take that away from you. And that's so cool. Right. It's humbling. It's, you know, I tell the story when I was a kid, I would become consumed with what am I going to do with my life? You know, can I be as successful as my parents were, you know, all these anxieties I'd lived with growing up not really knowing what I wanted to be or do. And it just so happens that anything I could have ever dreamed of, I did. And it's spectacular. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, maybe here or there, I might want to change a couple of things that I said or did or whatever. But I, I've led my dream, Gary, and it's been an awesome ride, an awesome experience, and I've got no regrets whatsoever. Have you ever thought about writing a book about some of these uh, things? <laughs> yeah, but 
after William wrote his book, I said to him, I want to write the same type of book, but unfortunately I got to wait till some people pass away because it's like being inside, so inside, their stories that nobody could ever get out of me because I wouldn't want it to fame or hurt and just say the wrong thing. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in some things should remain unsaid, you know, because nobody's perfect. Nobody does everything right in their lives. You know, people could throw as many stones as they want at me. That's okay. But, um, you know, it's like, it's my story and it's my story that I hold real deep in my heart. And I honestly, I don't really feel comfortable about always talking about it. You loosened me up, Gary, to talk about all this. So you're good at what you do, but it's more about the people now that I represent William and the Goldens with Rusty and Chris and certainly Danny Stefanetti, who has a new album a new single coming out on September 8th and watch out for that because that's the video that she directed and did all her own. And um, then she'll be back along with the Goldens for the Josie Awards in October that they're both nominated for a whole bunch of awards as well. So great awesome. things are happening uh, with them that I'm real proud of, to be part of, to be associated with two different entities that I just enjoy every day. You know, it's not really work, it's like playtime. And being able to talk to your best friend every morning and strategize about the problems of the world as well as how we're gonna book shows, you know, and keep this whole thing going. So any promoters out there, if you are looking for a great, night of music william lee golden chris golden rusty golden a kick-ass band can play everything from the most spirited gospel song to the most rock and roll type of music you ever want to hear in everything country in between please go out and any promoters please check them out and check out how great they are. And the same with Danny Stefanetti. She's an up and coming artist that I really think is gonna blow people away. The more people that get to know her and the more people that get familiar with her music and what kind of talent she truly is. I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> hey, me too. Uh, just talking to you. Um, well, maybe all of those guys and and Danny can and you maybe could come to Bruton one day and have this big show. That's what I told her. Maybe there can be this big show and y'all could put on a show or something like that. How cool would that be? Well, the Goldens have done it the last two years. They've come down to Bruton. I think there's something in the books for an auditorium or something um, real soon, but William's so tied into his hometown and community that um, I, I, it's just, it's not even his second home. It's really his first home because that's where his heart always is and where he goes to unwind. And him and his wife and his dogs just pile in the truck to uh, from Nashville, go south go to Bruton and just come back like they've been to a Zen retreat for three months. It really is. It's like, yeah, it's the, the, uh, there's like a different feel like in the atmosphere when you come through there, but, uh, Hey, anytime, you know, when you're driving through Bruton and you see this guy with a long beard and maybe a cowboy hat and he's going across the railroad tracks right there in Bruton, going to East Bruton, it's William Lee. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. Well, th thank you for talking to me today. I won't keep you, but uh, a lot of cool uh, things that you've done. And I'm just honored to talk to you. Uh, some great stories. I would like to read a book. Maybe if you don't want to tell everything, you can just read, write a book and I'll be the only one to read. 
right. Well, you can read William Lee Goldman's Behind there the Beard. Go. There's some little segments in there yes. with me and him uh, of our uh, some little antidotes in there that you can sort of get a taste of what our life is about behind the scenes. But that's a sensational book that everybody must go out and get Behind the Beard, written by William and Scott England, who is a terrific author and wrote a great bio with William. And also do not forget September 8th, Danny Stefanetti. Her new single is dropping and it's gonna be something special. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking Thank forward to seeing her do so awesome and everybody, and I'll, I'll be like, I remember when, yeah. but uh, yeah. Well, thanks, Jeff, for talking to me. I hope you uh, have a great day and uh, a lot of adventures in, uh, in whatever you do. I hope it's it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Gary, for the time. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And always remember to keep the music real.